Good morning, Eastside family. Typically, right now, I say we're going to let our children go to junior worship, so if you came late, you missed the announcement that they are already there. We appreciate those who are caring for our children and doing having a wonderful time together. Everybody's in here. Take your Bibles, and let's go to um, John chapter 8. And as we make our way to John chapter 8, let's go back to that slide for the, uh, the offering. I didn't mention that yet. I want to remind you again and again, we do this every Sunday, of a very important aspect of our worship assembly. It is our offering uh, that we bring to the Lord each Sunday, and we make it possible for you to give that offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to our church address, you can give an automatic draft through your bank, you can go online through our website. Very simple on the home page, it says give, click on that, follow the easy instructions, or if you are here in person, you can drop your offering off right there at the table on the way out, and if you're not here in person, to those of you who are with us live, uh, through live stream, absolutely honored, delighted, and humbled that you chose to be with us today. Hey, just want to give you one little celebration announcement on Tuesday. A guy named Wayne Johnson was baptized. You're going, well, who is Wayne Johnson? He's the guy sitting way back there that's waving now. So congratulations, Wayne. So happy for you. We've got two older couples that sit on the back row like teenagers, but I keep an eye on them. John chapter 8, so we, we, we started looking at this passage last week, but we didn't finish it last week. I just didn't want to rush through. It's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible story, and I just thought, I can't rush through it. What was said last week was too important to rush through it, and so we're going to hopefully finish it today. And, and I told you this last week, I chose this passage basically for two reasons for us to look at. First of all, it was, its purpose is to set the stage and to set the tone for an upcoming class on Wednesday nights, I'm going to be teaching at the end of November where we're going to be exploring passages in the Bible that speak about the topic of homosexuality. And the reason for doing this sermon now is to kind of, this is going to be the tone for the class, just to let you know, because sadly, too often, Christians have gotten a bad reputation, whether it's fair or not, for the way in which we approach and speak about this topic. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put this passage out here to set the tone, being a tone that reflects the very heart of Christ. And Jesus' heart is just open for display here in this passage. But then you're thinking, well, why are you doing that now if it's at the end of um, November? Because there's another reason for, for sharing this passage with you as well. It's to set the stage and set the tone in giving us principles to guide us as we're in the election season. Now, what, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to, where some of us are already casting, turning in our ballots. And there's so many issues that involve so many different things. What, what is our, what do we do about all that as, as followers of Jesus? How, how are we to be an influence and a voice if we choose to vote or not. And so this, this passage, it's just the, the, the example of Jesus, his life and his teaching, in every aspect of our lives, it provides a, a tremendous guide. And so you're not going to find today that I'm going to say, okay, therefore, based on what we see, here's how you should specifically vote. But where we find here 
underlying principles to guide us, not only with our ballots, but in our lives as general, in general as we try to face the issues that are in society. With this passage, we learn basically, and Brian did a great job of, of thank you, of setting the stage for uh, this sermon. Now, helping us see through the eyes of Jesus. There are three principles that this passage helps us in, in seeing the world and seeing others through the eyes of Jesus. Last week, just for the sake of review, we learned from Jesus' example that he saw and we should see not just issues, but the individuals that are represented by those issues. These, these opponents of Jesus did not, you're gonna, I'm going to read the story in a minute, they did not see this woman as an individual they saw her as an issue. She was a pawn in their game and their, their agenda, which was primarily to bring Jesus down. But Jesus, through his eyes, saw beyond the game. He saw beyond all the controversy. And he saw a hurting, broken, wounded individual that needed healing. Oh, that we could see our world in others in that way. So there's two more principles now I want us to notice, to keep in mind as we see from the example of Jesus of how, how we are to see our world and our see others. Let's, let's begin reading here in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to they, this they said to test him that they may have some charge to bring against him. So this is one of those typical loaded, no-win questions. Like, like no matter how you answer, it's kind of like if I were to say to Vern, Vern, are you still beating Barbara today as much as you used to? Like, how's he supposed to answer that? No matter how Vern answers, he's likely to implicate himself. And this, is, this was the, the personality of these scribes and Pharisees. They, they're always trying to pin Jesus to the wall with some theological question from which uh, he could not extricate himself and thus he would, he would look stupid or look um, not legit in the eyes of, of others. And you see this in, in the world of politics today. This is nothing new. You see people that can be so partisan, so prideful, so biased. That they're really not concerned about the law. They're really not concerned about right or wrong. They're not concerned about truth. It's all about bringing others down so that they can win. And this individual woman happened to be a pawn to help them do that. And so if Jesus were to say, well, I, I, I don't think we should stone her, then they got him. That's the trap. They've got him there because in the law of Moses, it says you're supposed to stone somebody committing adultery. If, you, if you're against the law of Moses, you're obviously not of God. That's part of the trap. The other part of the trap, if he says, well, um, let's stone her. Well, if he says that, then, oh, you're not the compassionate guy that you say you are. And then secondly, they've got him trapped because Roman law did not allow Jewish people to carry out the capital punishment. 
And so Jesus, instead of quickly answering, we read in verse 6, it says he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And you know what he wrote on the ground? No, you don't. (laughs) Nobody knows because it doesn't say, so I'm not going to spend 30 minutes speculating on it. My take on it is this. I would say Jesus is being slow, James chapter 1, slow to speak in such a controversy and and the conflict being, we would do well, we would do well, wouldn't we, to be slow to speak. But they were relentless. Verse 7, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So here's the second principle as we seek to, to follow Jesus and see others in the world through the eyes of Jesus. The second principle is to see through the eyes of humility. There again, Brian, you just you took it, did a great job with that in setting up communion. See others and see our world through the eyes of humility and not through self-righteous pride, as did these opponents of Jesus. They saw this woman's sin, but they didn't see their own. And so that set them up to be very prideful. Very condemning, very accusatory, very judgmental. But then through the eyes of Jesus, Jesus saw this woman's sin, but he he could also see their sins as well. If we could only see through the eyes of Jesus and see the sins of us all, mostly our own, what an impact that would make in how we treat others and how we approach the issues at play in our world. Now, let me show you how this plays out in the topic of homosexuality, since that's going to be our topic at the end of the month. But it really, it plays out like this in any topic, all right? So I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can see the text there on the screen, or you can turn to it in verses 9 through 11, where he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. That's just a really happy verse, isn't it? Nor swindlers, I got lost, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, verse 11, but you were, this is beautiful, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Of your God, of our God. Now, the word for homosexuality in that passage, that's a disputed word. And so we're going to talk about that dispute in this class. Here's the point I really want to bring to your attention from this verse. Opponents of homosexuality will say, see, it is right there. Written right there in scripture. Those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, but it says more than that. Did you notice that? Did you notice that also is mentioned greed? Do you, do you struggle with greed? Just look around. Materialistic 
greed is, is destroying our nation. And there are church-going people who live a lifestyle of materialistic greed, but they sit in condemnation of homosexuality using this verse, see right there, to address the sin of others, but for some reason they don't see how it addresses their own lives. They do not see through the eyes of humility like these opponents of Jesus. Let me give you another example right here from this passage. He also mentions here in this passage the mention of sexual, this, the sexually immoral, or in the King James Version it gives you the beautiful word fornicators. And that's kind of a really a hard-hitting word. Sexual immorality or fornication is basically in the larger definition of the Bible any sexual activity with anyone outside of the marriage of a man and woman. That is sexual immorality according to the definition of the Bible. But here's the crazy part about it. There are those, perhaps some of us, who will sit and watch a movie and watch TV that's just filled with men and women outside of marriage just getting after it in bed and all kinds of sexual activity and we're just loving it. Best movie ever. Really enjoying ourselves. And the minute somebody shows up in a homosexual scene, we are repulsed by that. And for some reason, that's okay. Some of the biggest critics of homosexual activity are those who are heavily involved in heterosexual sins. You know, that's just blatant hypocrisy. And Jesus deals with that head on in the Sermon on the Mount when he says to those who sit in judgment on others, why, are you, why do you do that? Why do you look at them and say, would you look at that speck of sawdust in their eye? When do you not see what's just coming out of your eye? Are you missing that? That's exactly what these opponents of Jesus were doing in this story. They hypocritically saw this woman's sin and they were outraged <laughs> furious but not of their own sins now here, here's a, I think a, a fair question where's the man you know it takes two to tango can I say that in a sermon she was caught in the act of adultery. They brought her, but they did not bring him. Why didn't y'all bring him? Probably because they were men. Is that not blatant, hypocritical discrimination that we see in all kinds of forms as well in our society? So let's just make sure we understand something here. We, we, we're not saying here don't make judgments. We're not saying here to never make a judgment on what is right or wrong or what is sinful. The Bible says we should, though it says we have to. One of the beautiful passages on that is Galatians chapter 6 says, sure, when we see something that is, that is, is contrary to the will of God, that is sinful, we need to address it. But he says, consider yourself also when you're doing that. And as you do so, he uses the word, and that'll give you a gentle approach of humility. And not harshness and hypocrisy. 
This is exactly the instructions Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 7 as he addresses how this, this, this issue of how we judge one another. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say never judge, but he says stop first and take a look at your own life. And as you do so, you will learn to see others and the world through the eyes of humility. Are you, are you identifying at all? Does any of this resonate with you? It does with me. I hate to admit it, but I understand too well and I identify too well with these judgmental hypocrites in this story who were opposing Jesus. If I were to be honest with you, and I should, I find it easier to see the sins of others instead of my own. And you know, one of the reasons I find it others, one of the reasons I can see the sin in some of your lives, because I have it too, but some reason, I cut myself slack. <laughs> I'm easier on myself. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I do things that are wrong. I do things that I shouldn't do. But in general, I'm a pretty decent guy. But others, when they've done things that are wrong, they're just bad. For example, we'll just say for example, theoretically, if I were on the interstate speeding, I don't speed all the time. So, okay, every once in a while, oh my goodness, I'm driving over the speed limit. Well, it's probably because I'm praying. I got distracted. <laughs> Meditating on Scripture, the officer pulls me over. Oh, I can't believe I was going 95. You know, I was just praying, and I, I was praying for our, 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 the police in our county. I, I was praying for you. <laughs> it happens. Other people that are speeding on the interstate, well, they're just devil worshipers. I think you're probably laughing because you get it, don't you? Yeah? Here's another thing that I do. All right, I got some stuff, but it's not as bad as yours. Isn't that strange? Because you're looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't go back to it. Don't worry about it. All these lists it has, and there's a whole bunch of them. He never says, no, these, man, these are the big ones. And these over here are a big deal. The Bible doesn't do that. They've just got them all lumped together. And then, like, I'm not going to go forever on this, but I, I see it in my life, and I'm sure you probably struggle with this too, but, but in the political arena, wow, Brian was right. We are desperately lacking in humility, Prideful hypocrisy rules the day. This side accusing this group of what this group also has done or is doing. And I've got just trillions of examples of that. I'm not going to get off on that tangent. And all this does is it just fuels the fire of controversy and division. If we could only see the world and others through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of humility, what a difference it would make. As we look at the issues plaguing our society and all of the individuals involved, if we could only live by the proverb, there but by the grace of God, 
go I. Let's take a look at the third and, and final principle in this passage, verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from, and from now on, sin no more. So as we learn to see the world and others through the eyes of Jesus, thirdly, we learn to see through the eyes of compassion and conviction. Listen carefully. I didn't say compassion or conviction. I said compassion and conviction. That's really important because our world has got those as mutually exclusive concepts. It's either one or the other. If I stand here or stand there, and if I so dare as make a conviction that something is sin, if I make a conviction that something is wrong, then I am automatically branded a hater lacking in compassion. Then, on the flip side, if I make any compassionate statements about some of the struggles of these families at our borders, or make a compassionate statement about people who battle with same-sex orientation or, or gender identity, if I make any statements of compassion to them, uh, I, I'm just loose on sin, lacking in conviction. But you look at the example of Jesus. He shows us how these two qualities of compassion and conviction, they're not mutually exclusive and contrasting. They're complementary. Notice he said to this woman, go and sin no more. There he did it. He used that politically incorrect, that religiously incorrect word, sin. Letting her know your sexual activity out of marriage between a man and a woman that's sinful. That's sin. Then he just drives it home further and he says, go and sin no more. Now he's calling her to repentance. He's calling her to change. It's like, Jesus, ease up. I mean, where's your compassion? Are you hating her? No, actually, this is compassion and we see his compassion mixed with these words of conviction when he said to her neither do I condemn you it's like wait a minute she committed adultery compassion conviction so beautifully blended together, one not ruling out the other. And so, if you're wondering, what's that class going to be like at the end of the month? We wonder, how do, how do we approach any of these issues facing us in, our, in society? Our, our goal should be, and let's take a look at, at, at the three points there on the screen, our goal should be to see beyond the issues and see individuals that are there. To see through eyes of humility and see through eyes of conviction and compassion. 
So I believe these three principles, they're not only going to help us set the tone for the class, but those, these are good underlying principles, not only to guide us as we try to wrap our brain around. If you look at the ballot they've given us, man, that thing, and there's a lot to read, and all the issues. How do these three principles play out as I consider those things? But it's so much more than that. They equip us and serve for us as a guide as we seek to take the gospel to a lost and broken world. Now, one final thing before we close, and I already touched on this. You kind of might be reading this and might be going, well, did Jesus let her off the hook? I mean, she committed adultery and written in the Old Testament, not by some narrow-minded conservative fundamentalist. Actually, Jesus wrote the Old Testament. This is his stuff, all right? Written in the Old Testament, he wrote the punishment for such a sin was the death penalty by stoning, and he's just letting her go scot-free. Neither do I condemn you. Well, how do you reconcile that? Good choice of words there, reconcile. I believe you reconcile it when you see this story in the larger story of the Bible. Jesus knew full well that he was going to die on the cross taking her punishment for sin. He would take that condemnation upon himself. He knew that. As well as for the sins of all of us. You see, her sin would not go unpunished. It wasn't adultery, go on, no. Her sin would not go unpunished. He would bear it on the cross. He would die in her place for her adultery because he loves her so dearly. You see, on the cross, we see, we see the satisfaction of compassion and conviction. This is wrong. It must be punished. I love you. I will take that punishment upon myself. We see the, the beautiful blending in Jesus' death on the cross of justice and love. Justice, sin was punished. Love took it himself. In our place, church, that's why the gospel is called good news. But now in order for her to receive this offer, offer of compassion and forgiveness, she would need to, to respond to him in faith. She would need to believe that he truly is the son of God who died for her sins and truly repent and turn from her life of sin to, to following him. And so church, this tells us if you really care about the issues, go beyond what you say on Facebook about it. Go beyond your ballot with trying to make a difference. The greatest difference we can make is by taking the message of Christ and bringing Christ before the world like he came face to face with this woman that they may know his love and his mercy. Now, here's the thing about this story. It's kind of open-ended. Maybe in your life groups you can discuss this, but we don't know how this woman responded. 
We don't know where, what happened to her from this point forward. We can speculate. I'm kind of guessing after what he just did for her, I'm thinking surely, surely she became a follower of Jesus. But maybe it's left open-ended so it kind of redirects back to you and to me. What about you and me? Though you too are deserving of death, he died for your adultery. He died for your pornography. He died for your hateful thoughts and for your foul language. He died for your selfishness. He died for your greed. Taking your punishment upon himself. And you know what that means? You don't have to be condemned. You can get up and walk out of this building, Scott, free. Freely forgiven. So really, I think this passage is more than anything calling us to respond to him. And if you have never responded in obedient faith to Jesus... The Holy Spirit is, is convicting and compelling your heart now. And it's your desire to, to turn in repentance and confess Him as Lord and be baptized as Wayne did this past Tuesday. That's God's ambition with this passage. And, and there's a moment as we stand and sing and if, if that's your desire, if that's where the Spirit is leading you, then I would encourage you to reach out to one of our shepherds or talk to one of us after after our assembly, would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, it's almost like I'm speechless, which is <laughs> strange. But how, how do you, what do, what, what do we say? This is an incredible passage. Take these words and this character of Jesus and embed it in our hearts that it may influence how we see the world and how we see others. And take these words, Lord God, and open the hearts of those who find themselves today like this woman in this story. Oh God, may they feel you pulling them and drawing them closer to you. Speak to those of us who battle to be on the flip side of this story like these judgmental individuals. Oh, may we represent and be your heart to this world. And as I mentioned the elections, Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders of our nation. We pray that you will guide them in making wise decisions. We pray that you'll give them strength and strength. That it must be such a daunting responsibility to lead a nation, to lead a state, to even lead a, a city or a county. And Father, as we seek to understand what it means to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, as we approach the upcoming election, show us how we can best be an influence and a voice in this world for your eternal kingdom principles. As we go into this time of prayer, I want to encourage you, if you're carrying a heavy heart, burden for yourself or someone, I want you to encourage you to reach out to our shepherds who are available or reach out to someone else. 
This is a beautiful time for us to, to go to one another and to pray. Let's go before him with this song. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.